Um, today's going to kind of be a fun day because my chair's wobbling. <laughs> uh, because my chair's wobbling. That's why it's going to be a fun day. Um, not where I meant to go. Um, today, as Alan mentioned just a minute ago, this week we celebrated, uh, I celebrated uh, my, my three-year anniversary with y'all. You know, that's a pretty fun day, yeah. Three years. And some of you are like, only three years. Oh, he said short years, man, long, grueling years. Um, no, three years with y'all, and we've done a lot together. I think we've been together through a lot already. I thought it was funny. After my first year here, I said, well, we've, I've been here a year, and at that point, we had been through a global pandemic, um, so we'd kind of gone through some stuff, right? So anyway, so over three years, we have gone through a lot. We've had a baby here, um, and... Uh, Anyway, I, I think this might be a good opportunity to make one more announcement um, that I didn't make earlier. Um, my wife and I are expecting our fifth baby. Um, so, yes, so we're going to go through more stuff together. There you go. Um, it's been, honestly, though, it's been an awesome three years. I love my job. I love where I'm at. I'm so thankful that we're here. Um, and I love y'all. Y'all are great. Um, and our congregation has changed um, over the years, and I assume it will continue to change. Um, that's just kind of the way this works. And hopefully, as we see people come in, we're also seeing people sent out. Um, I don't just want people to come so we can build a bigger bigger thing here. I want to see people come so that we can turn them around and send them out to the world and see, see people won for Christ. Like, that's what we want. So that's the goal. Um, but today, let's turn our attention to uh, to what we're going to talk about today. Obviously, I'm... I'm not wearing my usual attire. I'm not wearing my normal suit. My normal suit. Um, just so you know, I do have suits. Um, yeah. I don't wear them very often. I, so the funny thing is I have one suit. <clears throat> I call it my, my funeral or wedding suit. It's, it, I, yeah, whatever. Um, anyway, it can work either way. Funeral or wedding. There, it's all good. Anyway, today, though, um, we're going we're gonna to look at baptism. In case you didn't get that by the big thing that says baptism behind me. Because here in just a little bit, we're going to celebrate in baptism. Um, we have three baptisms to do today. So we're going to celebrate. Today is like a jam-packed week. But I'm going to use this as an opportunity to kind of turn our attention then to look at what baptism is. Okay, So that's what we're going to do. We're going to take this opportunity. So if you thought we were going to be in Matthew, hold on to it. We're coming back to Matthew next week. But today, today we are going to dive in baptism. Yeah, I said it. Um, so today, that's what we're going to do. We're going to worship. Okay, last week we talked about, uh, we talked about Peter walking on the water. Um, so we talked about him walking on the water. And if you remember back to last week, after he had walked on the water toward Jesus, he looked away, saw the wind blowing, and got scared, right? So he started to sink. And he reached out, cried out for Jesus, and Jesus pulled him back up. And it says that whenever they got onto the boat, this is Matthew chapter 14, verse 32. It says, when they got on the boat, the wind ceased. Then those in the boat worshipped him and said, truly you are the Son of God. So today what we're going to do is we're going to worship Jesus and we're going to say, truly you are the Son of God. We're going to celebrate together as we see people going from death to life. People who have been pulled in by Jesus. So that's what we're going to celebrate. I want to worship. I just want to have a, today's a fun day. Like I want to have fun today. Um, but that's what we're that's just what we're going to do. Uh, but I think it's worth telling you today's going to look different as we look at baptism. Typically, I would have you stand. We would read a passage. We would talk about the passage. The problem is, whenever we start talking about the, the topic of baptism, there's no one passage we can open to and say, here's everything you need to know about baptism. There's just not one. 
Um, instead, what we have to do is we have to use the whole Bible, and we have to look through what all the Bible says, and we have to con- just use that to form our doctrine of what baptism is. So today, we're going to be jumping all over the place. Um, so if you want to follow along, I would encourage you to do so. Like, you can flip. It depends on how fast you are, and this might be a good challenge to say, like, how well do you know your Bible? Can you keep up? Um, but if you don't, it's okay. I'm going to put the, sc- the passages up here on the screen. At least write them down. That way you know what I'm talking about. Um, but I wanted to warn you about that, Okay. And specifically today, we're going to be focusing in on what the New Testament has to say about baptism. Does that mean that the Old Testament is silent on baptism? No. That is not what that means. Okay? Um, there, are, there are certainly, at the very least, allusions to baptism all throughout the Old Testament. There are allusions of this cleansing through water. And if you can't think of any, I'm just going to give you a very obvious one. You ever heard of this guy named Noah? Like, you ever heard of him? This cleansing through water? Yeah, so there are at least allusions there. And that's not even to mention, like, crossing over the Red Sea, crossing the Jordan, passing through the water. Y'all tracking with that? So there are, at the very least, there are allusions to baptism. Not to mention, whenever John and Jesus stepped onto the scene in the New Testament, baptism, like, baptizing people into the nation was not uncommon. Like, there was this thing known as proselyte baptism. These people who were going one direction, and they say, no, I'm going to convert to follow Yahweh, the true God. Like, we're going to convert, and they would practice baptism. It was called proselyte baptism. So, baptism, whenever Jesus and John step on the scene, is not a brand new idea. Okay, and I just want to tell you that now, because we're going to spend the vast majority of our time focusing on New Testament pictures of baptism, specifically post-resurrection pictures of baptism. Okay, so, but I do want you to know, Baptism is not a new idea. Now, it may have taken on a brand new meaning when Jesus was raised from the dead, but it was not a new thing, okay? Now, some of you will have heard something very similar to this sermon in the past, okay? This is my last disclaimer, and I promise we'll get to it, okay? Um, some of you have heard something very similar to this in the past, because like I said, this, is my, this marks three years for me, so I have actually preached on this topic here before. The problem is, it was over two years ago. Um, last time we looked at this topic in depth, we actually looked at baptism. Um, I was curious to see when it was, so I, I scrolled back in my, my computer files, and I found, uh, found the date. It was July 12th of 2020. Um, so that was the last time we took an in-depth look at what baptism was, over two years ago. And as important as the topic of baptism is, I think it's worth our repeated attention. I think it's worth coming back to, okay? Now, what's more is the dynamic of our church, like I said, it's changed. And it will continue to change. Just so you know, that's not going to stop. Like, the change will continue to happen. Because time passes, people change. Like, we're going to see that happen. So I was also curious to see, like, okay, so I don't know how many people we have here today. Did you get a head count? 112 people here today. Okay, so I was just curious and um, to see what we had the last time. So I scrolled back again in computer files to see how many people we had the last time I talked about baptism. There were 84 here. 84 people, which means that at least 30 of you have not heard the sermon before, okay? There you go. I can do that math, all right? I guess it's 28 people, but still, you get the point. Um, so we have seen a change, which means that some of you may have never heard this. Now, I'm not bringing up numbers to boast or brag about how we've been grown, but I'm just trying to state the obvious. Like, there were many of you, some of you maybe have never taken an in-depth look of what baptism is. Some of you might not have ever looked at that. Why we practice baptism? What is baptism? Why do we practice it the way we practice it? Like, why do we do this thing? Why do we have people come up and get wet in church? Like, what's the point? What are we doing? See, some, I'm just going to put it as plainly as I can. The reason we're going to talk about this today is pretty simple. Some people may be wondering, what is the big deal? 
Okay? And if that's you, I'm really glad you're here because it is a big deal. And to answer that, I'm actually going to use a very similar outline to what I used two years ago. Um, And back then, two years ago, whenever I was getting ready to talk about this topic of baptism, I sent out my, I tried to boil baptism down to one sentence. Um, down to one sentence and make it as comprehensive as I could. But just so you know, this sentence I'm about to read to you is flawed, okay? It's, it's not perfect because I'm just a guy, all right? I, it, I'm not going to ask you to stand for it either because it's not Scripture. Now, it is bathed in Scripture. Like, there is Scripture to support it, and that's the reason I wrote it. Um, but two years ago, whenever I wrote this sentence, I sent it out to our elders and said, are we all in agreement? And I thought about doing that again, so um, I think the elders are all the same, so unless they've changed, with the exception of Alan. So, Alan, if you don't agree with this, <laughs> I, I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. Um, <laughs> I think you'll agree. Um, but anyway, so I wrote this. I sent it to our elders to make sure we had support and make sure we were in agreement on this is essentially what the Bible teaches on baptism. If we boil it down to a simplest term. So I'm going to be using this single sentence and we're going to break it down to kind of walk through this. And I'll try to show you the scripture that I use to support um, why we came to this conclusion. Okay. Again, we're not going to stand because this is a man written sentence. This is not God breathed like scripture. Okay. I just want to make that as clear as I can. Um, but do, there, I do certainly think that there is scripture to support what I'm about to say. So let's just read the sentence and then we'll slow down and we'll kind of break it apart. And I'll show you how we came to this conclusion. All right. So here it is. Baptism is an act of obedience to the Lord in which a person who has come to faith in Jesus and repented of their sin publicly identifies with him in his death, burial, and resurrection by being submerged into and raised out of water. All right? Now, some of those things you might be thinking, why would you include that? We'll get to it, okay? I'm going to read it one more time just for the sake of clarity, okay? Baptism is an act of obedience to the Lord in which a person who has come to faith in Jesus and repented of their sin publicly identifies with him in his death, burial, and resurrection by being submerged into and raised out of water, okay? All right, good. Now, let's break this apart. We'll kind of walk through this, and we'll talk about what baptism is, why we practice it, why we practice it the way we practice it, okay? All right, so first, first phrase here. Baptism is an act of obedience to the Lord. That's what baptism is. It's an act of obedience to the Lord. Now, I don't know how many times I've heard this question or I've asked this question to myself. Why does a person really need to be baptized? Why does a person really need to be baptized? And admittedly, I have struggled with the answer to this question. Um, I have struggled with this question. Because one thing we don't believe is that... uh, you're saved when you are physically baptized in water. Uh, that's not what we teach. That's not what we believe. Um, we believe that the Bible teaches salvation through faith, not, excuse me, not through works. Salvation is not through works. That would include baptism. Okay? So salvation is by faith. So as I filled this tub behind me that we're going to use here in just a few minutes, it's not like I put some kind of magical fairy dust in the water that's going to cause saving powers to work. I can't. That's not how it works, okay? Just so you know, whenever I filled this tub behind me, it's water straight out of the tap, okay? It's not special. It's just water, all right? You all know what water is, right? H2O, same molecular formula, right? Molecular formula. There we go. Okay, now, there are some churches who will teach that either God's saving power is not effective until you're baptized, or that the act of baptism itself is the means through which God brings you salvation, there are, there are churches who teach those things, okay? Now, that means that if we conclude that those views are biblical, baptism is then necessary for salvation. If we believe that those views are biblical. The question is, are those views biblical? And I think that the answer to that question is a resounding no. 
And the reason I believe that is because when God declares that you are redeemed, he doesn't, he doesn't do so partially and then let you fill in the gaps whenever you get into the water. No, when God redeems, he does fully and completely. He does so fully and completely. Nothing else needs to be done by you. God, when he declares that you are justified, you're justified. It's not like, well, you're mostly justified. Well, once you finish this up, we'll, we'll take care of the rest. No, Jesus says it's done. You are justified, period. Right? That's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift. Not from works, so that no one can boast. If that work was necessary, then I could say, yeah, but look at me, I'm bad. I was, I, fought, I was obedient. I was baptized, so now I'm saved and you're not. No! I'm not going to boast about my salvation because I did something. No! Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith... We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Look, we are saved by faith, not faith and baptism. We are saved by faith in Jesus. And maybe the most obvious example that shows us that you cannot possibly be saved by baptism is is very simple. And this is maybe the most obvious one anywhere in the Bible. The thief on the cross. You all familiar with this? Jesus is crucified between two other men, right? And the one, he declares faith in Jesus. And Jesus says, truly I tell you today you're going to be with me in paradise. Was that man ever baptized? I don't think he got off the cross. Romans didn't, do, didn't mess, up, mess up execution, just so you know. Like, you hang on a cross, you're, you're going to die. This man, as far as we know, was never baptized. Yet Jesus declared that he would be with him in, or in paradise. He would be with him in paradise. So then, if baptism is not necessary to be saved, what's the big deal? You see how that could create a problem. You see how this creates tension. Okay? Well, despite the fact that baptism is not a precursor to salvation, I do believe it's weighty. I don't believe it's some optional event for a few to participate in. I don't believe that's the case. I've read multiple authors who actually said that apart from the thief on the cross, the New Testament knows nothing of an unbaptized follower of Jesus. There's one example. Every other example, they, got, they, they were saved, they were redeemed, and they went and found some water. Like, they were baptized afterwards. It's not some optional event. Following Jesus, or expressing faith in Jesus, and baptism, which is obedience, they're fundamentally tied together. But still, the question is, why? Why are they so closely tied? Look, here's the thing. You don't get to call Jesus Savior unless you acknowledge Him as Lord. You don't get to call Him Savior unless you acknowledge Him as Lord. You can't somehow separate these two facets of who God is, like who Jesus is. You cannot separate, well, I got Jesus as a Savior over here, but then I got Jesus as Lord where I'm going to submit to what he's told me to do over here. There's, that's the same thing. Either you acknowledge who Jesus is or you don't. And either he is Lord and Savior or he is neither. Actually, that's not true. He's still Lord even if you don't acknowledge it. Okay, there, I'll, I'll backtrack a little bit. But see, there are several places that we are, we're told to be baptized. We should be baptized. We should, and if we're going to call Jesus Lord, then we'll do what our Lord has told us to do, which is to be baptized. Okay, now, I'm going to go through several places here, and the most, like the first is I just want to show, say, like, if we're going to say we're following Jesus, then we'll follow his example. All right, Jesus, to begin his public ministry, you know what he did? He went down, he was baptized. So, if we're saying we're following Jesus, we'll follow him in baptism. That's the first thing. Second, if we start thinking about the Great Commission, what are we commanded to do in the Great Commission? Most of you all know it, Matthew 28, verse 19, and he says, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations. <clears throat> oh, I heard it. Baptizing. 
crazy. So what you're saying is that as these, these guys, okay, just get the picture here. Jesus is there with his guys, and he's telling them what to do because he's getting ready to ascend to the Father, right? So Jesus is here giving them this last commission, and he says, go then, okay? All y'all, go. Make disciples. Okay, in other words, he's saying, go out here and teach people to be like you as you try to become like me. As you follow me, show them how to follow you, okay? So he's saying, go follow, have, teach them, teach them what it means to follow me, okay? And then he says, the first thing he says after that, he says, make disciples of all nations. So make, before you can make a disciple, you've got to make a convert. You, got, you get that, right? Like somebody has to be converted first, then they follow and they learn, right? Okay, so you make disciples, and the first thing that you do as you're making a disciple is baptize you baptize them, which means that you and I, who used to be opposed to, used to be opposed to God, like living in rebellion against Him, okay. Whenever we're converted to faith in Jesus, what's the first thing that somebody should have done for us? You should have been baptized. You should have been baptized. Okay. So the assumption then is that as you are converted, you will be baptized. Go baptize. There you go. We're going to come back to that more here in just a few minutes. Acts chapter two, verse thirty-eight. Here, Peter is a Pentecost, right? And there's some crazy things happen. They speak in tongues, and all the people are confused. So Peter gets up, and he starts preaching. Um, and he preaches a better sermon than I've ever preached, even though as I look at it from, like, um, if I looked at this from a homiletical standpoint, and I started saying, okay, here's what they teach you in seminary, I'm going to say, Peter, that was a terrible sermon. But you know what? I've never preached a sermon and had thousands of people repent of their sins. So who am I to judge? Um, so there you go. Anyway, Peter preaches this sermon at Pentecost. And at the very end, it says that the people who heard it, they were pierced to the heart. Like they were pierced to the heart. They knew that they were wrong. They knew that they were guilty. And they look at Peter and the other apostles and they say, but what are we supposed to do? Brothers, what do we do now? And you know what they tell them to do? Repent and be baptized. Okay. So what you're saying is, to be obedient, we need to be baptized. What's more, Acts chapter 22, verse 16, Paul is giving an account of his conversion. He says that he was explicitly commanded to go and be baptized. Get up. Go and be baptized. And there are other examples, and I'm not even to the letters that the New Testament writers wrote yet. Like, we're not even there yet. Okay? But there are countless examples where we are told we should be baptized. So, what's the big deal? Well, first of all, if we're going to call Jesus Lord and Savior, we better do what he's told us to do in his word, which is to start out by being baptized. Baptism is significant. It is weighty because it is obedience to our Savior. All right? Baptism is an act of obedience to the Lord. Second, second we're going to continue this sentence here. We're just going to add the next phrase. Baptism involves a person who has, be, who has come to faith in Jesus and repented of their sin. All right, so who is the proper candidate for baptism? Who should we consider? Essentially, this is what's become known as believer's baptism. Okay, that's essentially what this has become known as. Now, believer's baptism has a wide range of those who practice it. Um, had a fascinating conversation with someone who was trying to argue for infant baptism while talking about believer's baptism, which was fascinating to me. Um, I don't know how we came to that conclusion, but anyway, that's where we were. So I had a fascinating conversation with him, which was really interesting. But we believe in believer's baptism. We believe in believer's baptism. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, good. So, we believe that baptism is only to be administered after a person has declared faith in Jesus. 
Baptism is only after a person has declared faith in Jesus. Okay, before we get to why we hold this view, let me just show you why we don't practice infant baptism here. Um, and even as I wrote this, I started thinking, you know, there are people who have either, one, been baptized as an infant, or two, had their, had their child baptized as an infant. And I just want you to know, I'm not trying to shame you or make you feel guilty. I'm just trying to explain clearly why we believe what we believe. And I think sometimes looking at the counter-argument is helpful. Okay, so again, not trying to make anybody feel guilty or say that you have no hope because you did something that we don't believe in. That's not the point. The point is just to show you why we do what we do and the way we do it. Okay, so there are those who will practice infant baptism. We do not. Um, First, there are those who sprinkle as a sort of infant dedication. Okay, I know churches that will say we sprinkle babies or we pour over a baby's head as a sort of dedication. Okay, the issue I have with that is that there is no clear biblical evidence for that. There, there's none. One of my favorite illustrations of this fact is, uh, is a book I use often. It's called The Pastor's Book. Yeah, clever title, right? Um, they really thought that one out. Um, anyway, The Pastor's Book. In, and in this book, where in the section on baptism, there are two authors who write there. One who ha- holds to the same view of baptism that I would hold to. And then there's another who's a pedobaptist, or um, they baptize infants. They baptize children. Um, and they both express their views in this book. Now, I... I, I laughed out loud whenever I first read this. So the, the author who holds the same view I do, who, who holds to believer's baptism, um, he wrote a card to the other pastor, the, the, the pedobaptist, okay, so the one who would baptize infants. He wrote him a card, and on the front of this card, it said, here is all the biblical evidence for pedobaptism. And here's all the biblical evidence for it. And then he opened the card, and it was blank. Yeah. Okay, now, this was friendly banter between two men. And I thought it was funny. Okay, so let me just say that. Um, but the point is still pretty, pretty well made. There is no biblical evidence for baptizing infants. The only way I've heard some people try to use the Bible to support infant baptism uh, is to use, really, an argument from silence. Are you all familiar with, with like, where I'm going here? Some of you might be. Okay, argument from silence. Okay, The, the example everybody wants to use is, is in Acts. Acts chapter 16, verse 33. And here, in Acts 16, 33, there's a whole family who goes down and they're baptized. Okay, The whole household is what it says. The whole household goes down to be baptized. However, the problem is, there is no evidence that there was a child, or especially not an infant child, there who was being baptized, which is why I say it was an argument from silence. They assume something of the text whenever the text doesn't say it. Does that make sense? Y'all tracking with that? Okay, not to mention, if you back up one verse to Acts 16.32, it says that Paul and Silas spoke the word of the Lord to this man along with his entire house. So there's an indication that not only did they hear the word, but they understood the word, and then they were baptized, which actually supports believers' baptism. So, there you go. The indication, they heard, they understood. Um, So, if you want to dedicate a child, fine. I'm good with that. Uh, As a matter of fact, I'll, I'll be happy to pray over your kids. Like, that's one of my favorite things. I get to hold your kids. I get to, it's, I love it. I'll take your kids, of course. And then I'll be happy to pray over them. But I'm not going to do, do it through baptism. I think that's a distortion of what baptism is. So, there you go. Um, the second camp who would also hold to infant baptism, they would sprinkle infants as a sign of the new covenant. Much like circumcision was a sign of the old covenant, they would sprinkle or baptize an infant as a sign of belonging to the kingdom or a sign of belonging to the body. See, and there is some merit there. There is some merit. Baptism is certainly an outward sign of belonging to the covenant community. Community, Okay? Certainly, there is some merit to that. The problem is that this, this sign shouldn't take effect until after a spiritual rebirth. It's not at physical birth. It's at a spiritual rebirth. Y'all tracking with that? 
Okay? See, the connection between baptism and circumcision are clear. And if you want to see those and you're taking notes, well, go read uh, Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, Romans 2, 28 and 29, because clearly you're going to see a connection between baptism and circumcision. It's clear in Scripture. But the problem is, when a person is born, they're born into sin. See, whenever they're reborn spiritually, they're born into life. And that's when they receive this mark of the new covenant. They receive a sort of spiritual circumcision, if you will. Okay? An external sign that they belong to the covenant community. However, this does not happen at physical birth, but at spiritual rebirth. Okay? So there, that's why we don't hold to that view. Okay? Now, what do we believe about baptism? Um, We believe that it comes after conversion. After you have been converted to the Christian faith. Okay? Now, there is a close tie between, in Scripture, between baptism and repentance. Whenever we come to faith in Jesus, it will always include repentance. Always. I don't think that there's an exception to that. Whenever you come to faith in Jesus, it will require you to repent. You turn from your old life, you turn to Jesus. You all tracking? Okay. Acts chapter 2, verse 38 that we already mentioned, that's one of the commands, right? Peter says, okay, they come to Peter and they say, what are we supposed to do, brothers? He says, repent. Repent and be baptized. That's what you do. Acts chapter 8, there's the Ethiopian eunuch, he hears God's word explained, presumably believes, and then he acts in obedience through baptism. Acts chapter 16, the family hears God's word, they believed and they were baptized. Then, those coming to John in Matthew chapter 3 verse 6, it says they were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sin. Again, there is repentance involved. And there's a close tie between repentance and faith. All these things, while we can look at them individually, they are closely tied together. Faith, baptism, repentance, they're all tied together here. Mark chapter 1, verse 15, it says, Jesus said, repent and believe. What Peter says, repent and be baptized. Here, Jesus is saying, repent and believe. Those things are tied together. People express faith, they repent of their sin, and they are baptized. Those things need to be closely tied together. See, and it's because baptism signifies the new birth. While it is an act of obedience, it is, it's bigger than just doing what you're told. It's bigger than that. It involves someone coming to faith in Jesus, repenting of their sin, and then following in baptism. Okay? So baptism is an act of obedience to the Lord in which a person who has come to faith in Jesus has repented of their sin. Third statement here. Uh, baptism is a public identification with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection. That's what baptism is. It's a public identification with Jesus in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And again, this comes back to the sign. Okay? The mark of belonging to Jesus. But what exactly does this sign symbolize? I think that's a fun question to ask, right? You guys know, if you go out here on the interstate, and you look out and you see a sign that says 70 miles an hour, does that mean that that sign is traveling at 70 miles an hour? No. Does that mean that you have to travel at 70 miles an hour? Also no, because I've seen some of you drive. But that sign does mean that if you exceed 70 miles an hour, there are repercussions for that, right? It symbolizes something else. That if you drive over 70 miles an hour and there happens to be a police officer who pulls you over, you there are consequences to those actions. That's what that sign symbolizes. Or the no U-turn. Does that mean you can't make a U-turn? No, of course not. It means that there are consequences to making that U-turn. It symbolizes something else. So the sign is not the substance. And what is baptism then? Because it's a sign of something else. It's not the substance. It's a sign of something. See, what baptism is, is an identification saying, I'm with Jesus in his death because of salvation. uh, Because salvation will necessarily involve death. Now, 
That seems like a strange statement, doesn't it? Baptism necessarily involves death. Well, really, that's the declaration that we're making. That we have died. That we have died. Right? And if you want to know why I say that we die, well, go read Galatians 2.20. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, as we go into the water or into the grave, we are telling the world that we are dead to our old self. That I no longer live. Y'all know, I, I was baptized whenever I was 12 years old. I made the declaration whenever I was 12 years old that Jared was dead. Jared no longer lives. Jared's not living on his own. The life I lived in the flesh from that point forward became a life that Christ was living in me. It wasn't my life, it was his. See, I think we need to understand that's what baptism is. We're saying that I am dead to my old life. I no longer live, but Christ is the only reason I'm alive. It's his life in me. So as we go into the water, we're saying that we went into the grave with Jesus, but we also identify with his resurrection. See, that's the beauty of it. I'm not going to hold people under the water for too long. (laughs) I've heard people joke, like, maybe you need to hold them under a little longer. Um, Maybe sometimes that's true, but don't worry, I'm not going to try to drown anyone. Um, The point is, we signify that we went into the grave with Jesus, that the old self is dead, but then we are also raised up from the water, saying that we are not alive on our own, but we are alive in Christ Jesus. The old me is gone, so the one standing in front of you is different from the one that went in. I am different. The life I live is Jesus' life in me. And the reason I say public identification is, again, because of the example that we find in Scripture. Jesus, when he was baptized in Luke chapter 3, verse 21, there were others with him, right? He went down to be baptized while John was down baptizing other people. Jesus goes down there also to be baptized. Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches, thousands of people were baptized together. They went and they were baptized See, this is, um, baptism is in a sense, it's a premiere or a grand reveal of the new self. Like saying, I was dead and now I'm alive. Look, it's not just some makeover. Instead, what we're saying is, hey, you guys remember how I was? I was dead, but I'm not anymore. That is a big deal. And we want people to know that I'm no longer dead. Like, how could we not want people to think we're still zombies? Just kind of moving around, but not really alive. I want people to know I have life and it's in Jesus. Like, we want people to know that. Now, some people will say, okay, public identification. What about the Ethiopian eunuch? What about him? Wasn't he all alone? Wasn't he the only one? Okay, whatever, fine. Okay, in the early church, first of all, it's possible that he was the only believer in the area. It's possible. So the fact that he did this alone, okay. But typically people don't travel alone. Okay, so even as this Ethiopian eunuch is going by, there were certainly still other people around. And again, saying that he was alone is an argument from silence. It doesn't make sense. So generally, baptism is an opportunity for what I've heard called divine theater. And I love this, divine theater, this this picture of what God has done, and we get to put it on display. See, we demonstrate to the world that we are with Jesus and Jesus is in us, which just reinforces again the idea of believer's baptism. And if we're not with Jesus, what are we doing in baptism? Well, again, we're getting wet in church. That's about it. Not much more than that. See, baptism is a public identification with Christ in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Okay? And then the final clause here in this statement is that baptism is to be done by submerging, by being submerged into water and raised out of water. Okay? Being submerged into and raised out of water. Now, This may seem obvious, but this is a debate that has raged for centuries. And I'm not trying to be, like, dramatic or anything. 
But it's true. Like, as long as baptism's been done, this has been a debate. The question is, is sprinkling okay? Do we need to be submerged? Should we, should, should, does baptism have to be done in a baptistry, in a church? Does it, um, should it be done in a pool? Does it have to be done in a stream of flowing water? Like, these are real arguments that people have had. Okay? Now, in all of these, because they've been points of contention, I think we can, we can kind of handle them, maybe, maybe just in one quick statement, okay? Here at Christian Fellowship, um, we are very clear that we believe that the proper mode of baptism is by immersion. Um, we do not, I, I'm not going to sprinkle you. I, I just won't. Um, I, don't, I don't see the biblical merit to it. Okay? We believe baptism by immersion. As a matter of fact, baptism by immersion is a requirement for membership here. As far as where you get baptized, whether it's in a lake, stream, baptistry, I really don't care. Um, I, I've been to baptisms where people were baptized in horse tanks. Great. I don't really care what you're baptized in as long as you are immer- immersed. Like, I think that's important. And why is that so important? Well, because we believe it's the bo- most biblical mode of baptism. It's the most biblical way to do it. Okay? And the reason for that, really, the simplest way to explain the reason for that is the word baptism itself. Um, I told Seth this morning I would like to get this word baptism on on our shirts changed to where it says baptizo. Um, That's the Greek word for baptism. Um, The Greek word baptizo. Okay? And I believe we have that in here. If I sent it to him. Um, I don't know. Did I? Hey, look at that. Isn't that pretty? Baptizo. Okay. So, this word, it literally means to dip to submerge or to sink a person. Like, that's literally what it means. So when we say that we baptize, we are literally saying that we are dipping or submerging a person into water. So if we say I'm baptizing somebody by sprinkling them, it doesn't, it's not baptism. By definition, that's not what baptism is. It is a sinking or a submerging. That's what baptism is. Okay? Further, the biblical evidence shows people going down into water, then coming back up out of the water. And examples abound. I'm just going to give you a few here, like Acts chapter 8, verses 38 and 39, where the Ethiopian eunuch was baptized. There it says, both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized. Literally it says, and he submerged him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. Okay, now you get this. They went down into the water. Down into the water. Not like they were close to the water. No, they went down in the water. Okay, that's, that's the way it was done. Or Jesus in Mark chapter 1, verse 10, as it says, As soon as he came up out of the water. You don't come up out of water unless you went down into the water. And there are others that show us this going down and coming up out of the water. But perhaps the best reason for immersion is the very thing that we talked about earlier. Okay, that this is a sign. It is a sign that represents something more significant, right? If we are identifying with Jesus in his death, his burial, and his resurrection, what is the best imagery to use? What's the best imagery to use? Look, a few drops over the top don't necessarily show that somebody was completely dead. That's not what it demonstrates, is it? And it certainly doesn't demonstrate that they were buried with Christ. Okay? If we don't identify with Jesus in his death, then we cannot be identified with him in his life. And there's a whole argument about that in Romans, so yeah, go read it. The picture, however, represents something far too grand to distort. So we completely and totally die to self, to sin, and to condemnation. And then we are raised from the water, from the grave, to new life. Real, true, and eternal life with Christ forever. That's what we're symbolizing. That's what we're showing. That's what this divine theater represents. That's what we want the world to know, that I was dead. Not that I had a few problems and needed to be dealt with. Oh, no, I was dead. I could not care for my problems, so I was buried with Christ. But the good news is Christ came out of the grave, which means that we can too. That's what baptism is representing. Romans chapter 6, verse 4. 
It says, therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death. We were buried with him by baptism into death. And for this reason, we believe it is a crucial response to salvation to be baptized by immersion. Okay, so baptism is an act of obedience in which a person who has come to faith in Jesus and repented of their sin publicly identifies with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection by being submerged into and raised out of water. So what? Okay. All right. Long time. Now, there's three groups. First of all, I hope all of you all see the importance of baptism. I hope you see the significance. Like we just spent, uh, not very long, but we talked really fast about what is baptism, why it's so important, and hopefully you see that baptism is not some optional activity for a few. It's commanded for the church. Like we are to obey and be baptized. But there are, I'm sure, three groups of people here. Three groups, okay? First, there are those of you who have come to faith and you've been baptized. And you might be thinking right now, okay, Jared, you just talked a lot about baptism. Jared, I was baptized years ago. Some of you are thinking, Jared, I was baptized before you were born. Okay, good for you. I'm glad. And you're thinking, well, okay, then what does this have to do with me? Well, if this is you, here's what I want you to respond to this text. I want you to remember the profession you made however long ago. Okay, whether it was 70 years ago or it was just recently, you declared that your life was not yours. You went into the grave with Jesus. You said, I am dead, and the life that I live in the flesh, it's by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. My life is not my own, it's his. That's what you declared in baptism. Okay, and if you declared him as the Lord, and that's you, um, how I would like to encourage you today is to examine your life and see if you're still clinging to Jesus or if you're clinging to the corpse of your dead self. What are you clinging to? Whose life are you clinging to? The dead life or the living life? Is dead life a thing? What are you clinging to? Second group I'd like to address are those who have come to faith, but they haven't been baptized. Um, And if you've come to faith in Jesus, I think I asked this question two years ago, because I think think we've talked about this. Um, If you've come to faith in Jesus and you haven't been baptized, what in the world are you waiting for? Like, the simplest thing I have to say to you is repent of your sin and follow Jesus in obedience. It's really not overly complicated. If you have come to faith in Jesus, let's get you in some water, okay? Be baptized. It's really not that hard. And if you say Jesus is your Savior, that He has saved you from your sins, then obey Him as your Lord. Um, you know, there are some people who, who have issues with like, okay, yeah, but Jared, there's, there's 112 people in the room, and I really don't want to get up in front of people. You know what? I used to say the same thing. Huh, funny, isn't it? But here's the thing. Here's the catch. Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33. It says, Therefore, everyone who will acknowledge me before others, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. Acknowledge Jesus before others. There. Okay? Acknowledge him before others. Baptism is just one of many ways that we can do that, but it's an important act of obedience that we can do. All right? If you belong to Jesus, acknowledge him by publicly declaring your allegiance to him, that his life is your life, that your life is his life. Okay? Third and final group I want to address today are those who have not come to faith in Jesus and therefore have not been baptized. Okay? Today, undoubtedly, every time I preach, I know that there's somebody who who has never really received Jesus in faith. I know that there's always somebody. I don't know who you are. I know most of you all, and I think most of you all would probably say, yeah, I'm a believer. But I know, I know that there are some of you who may be hearing today who have never come to faith in Jesus. And if that's you, if that's you, today, here in just a few minutes, um, I'm going to invite some folks back, and we're going to get to celebrate in baptism. Um, we're going to see three coming to be baptized today, actually. Um, and they're going to be declaring that however many years they have left on this earth, um, they're living for Jesus. That their life is no longer their own, but instead it belongs to Him. 
See, what they're going to acknowledge today is this, they're going to acknowledge this divine theater where they're saying, I was dead. I was dead in my sin. Now, that's important. That's important that we acknowledge that, first of all. You all know you're sinners, right? Um, if you don't know that, then we have a problem at our starting point. Um, you are not okay on your own. I know that that's kind of what the world wants to tell you. Like, oh, you're perfect just the way you are. Uh, the truth of the Bible is you are not perfect just as you are. Uh, the truth of the Bible is that you are broken to your very core. So we're starting off on the wrong foundation if you think you're fine just the way you are. But here's the good news is that that's okay. Because we were all there. I was there. I was dead in my sin. I was broken to my very core. But I have a Savior who loved me and gave himself for me so that I could have life. And we're going to see that divine theater where we have three, and really they're young people, but they know that they were sinners. They acknowledge that they have sinned and they have fallen short of God's glory, but they also declare that Jesus came and made them whole. He forgave them of their sins. That he is the life that they're living. See, that's what you're going to see today. If you've never come to faith in Jesus, I want you to know you're a sinner and you need the saving just like these, these three do. Like these three did. And they've received it. Jesus is good. He is willing to forgive. So I urge you today not to let another day go by without submitting to Jesus. And when you're in him, then you are truly free to be everything God's made you to be. So here's the thing. We like to talk a lot about freedom. And who we are, what we are, how we can be made free, whatever. Okay. We like to talk about that a lot. Um, and the best, best analogy I ever heard of this is, sure, you're free. Right now. Whether you're in Jesus or you're not, you might think you're free. Um, but if you're not in Jesus, it's kind of like this. I, I've heard this analogy. Like you, you're like a fish, okay? You're a fish. Problem is, you're free to do whatever you want, but you're laying on dry ground. You're laying out here on concrete. You're free to do whatever you want. Go ahead. But you're a fish laying on concrete. <clears throat> See, whenever you come to Jesus, he throws you back in the water. He throws you back in the water, and then you are truly free to be what you were supposed to be to begin with. Is the fish laying on concrete really free? No. They might think they are. They say, I can do what I want. Go for it. Good luck. All you can do is flop around and hope that you can find some water soon. <clears throat> but see, whenever you're in Jesus, you're the fish in the ocean. You are free to be whatever he has made you to be. And I want to urge you to realize that you are dead in your sin and that you can be forgiven through Jesus. Um, <clears throat> I'd like to go ahead and, and invite our, our uh, what, do I call, what do I call people who are being baptized? Candidates for baptism? Let's go with candidates for baptism. I'd like to invite our candidates for baptism back. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to pray. And I've... Each one of them has, has written a short testimony that uh, I've asked Laura if she'd be willing to read. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and invite them to come up. I'm going to go back here with them. She's going to read those. Um, but as they head back here, I'd like, I'd like to pray with you all. So if you guys want to go ahead and head on back here, I'll be right there. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, today we thank you for loving us, Lord. Really, Father, I'm so thankful that even in the act of baptism, we can... We can celebrate who you are and what you've done. We can know your goodness because really what this baptism represents is something far bigger than anything we could accomplish on our own. Lord, I'm thankful that we can see people taken from death to life. That we can see people who were dead in their sins and their trespasses and be made alive in Christ Jesus. So, Father, today we just praise you. Um, Father, I'm thankful for Amos, for Annika, for Jessa, for their declaration that they trust in Jesus with everything they have. Um, Lord, I just pray that this would be honoring to you, uh, that you would be pleased. Lord, and I want to pray specifically for these three as they go into this, that they would, one, realize the weightiness of what they're, of what they're stepping into, but two, also recognize the freedom that they have now in Christ. Um, Father, bless this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.